This morning we're going to be uh, continuing to speak into the series that we're currently doing. This is part seven of the series about overcoming our fears. Uh, I, I started this whole series uh, understanding that and setting a foundation about where we need to build our lives on so that we can deal with this whole thing about fear. Um, we talked about setting the ABCs in place, that we accept that Christ loves us, that we believe that he died and rose again on the third day for me, and that we commit to Christ all of the fears that we have and our entire lives. That's the ABCs of this thing. This is the, the fa- that's the foundation. We need to build upon that. And we've talked about a number of different things right throughout this series. And this morning, um, I'm going to be talking about something that I'm not just preaching about this morning. I want to let you know that this is something that I've lived through and that I'm continuing to work through in my personal life. This is not something that I just sort of like, you know, oh, it's a great subject to, to, to preach about, to talk about, and to get all of you guys to do that because, you know, it's not the way I, I operate. I actually firmly believe that whenever a speaker gets up to speak, that they'll be speaking about, number one, either something they've gone through or something they're about to go through. Okay? That's what I believe about someone who stands at the pulpit. This is something that I've been through. And I've no doubt that it's something that I'm going to continue to to deal with in my own life. So I'm going to share some things in the hope that it actually gives you permission to work on these things as well. To address some of this stuff that is happening in our lives. And we sort of like don't want to talk about it. We want to deal with it. But we don't know how maybe. And this morning what I, I hope to do is to help us to see the benefit of actually trying to, to work on some of this stuff. This is real for me, and I'm not going to guarantee that I don't get through this in a blubbering mess, but it's something that I've walked through, and it's been something that has wounded me deeply and hurt in the past. I've worked on those hurts and those wounds, and I've come to a place where I feel that I can speak freely about that. Uh, a pastor gave me uh, some good advice once about preaching, about speaking from the pulpit. He says, what we need to do is to lead the people, not bleed on the people. And I'm not going to bleed on you this morning, okay? Uh, There's no open wound on this, okay? This is something I've worked through, and I know that I'm going to work through again in the future, but it's something that I believe that God has got me to talk to you this morning about. So welcome to part seven of our Overcoming a fear series. You're probably wondering what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Um, and it is this. It is the fear of rejection. It is the fear of rejection. Overcoming the fear of rejection. Proverbs 29, <clears throat> verse 25 says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Okay, let me say that again. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So today we're going to be talking about the fear of rejection. Many people um, believe that the fear of failure is the same as the fear of rejection. But I think that they're both two different things. The fear of failure focuses on my performance. It's on what I do as a person. Whereas the fear of rejection focuses on me as a person, it's who I am. I think that they're two very different things. But I do think that one can lead towards the other and that we can have, uh, we, we fail in some particular area and because of that failure, it leads us towards having a fear of rejection. Because I've failed, people aren't going to like me. They aren't going to, to associate with me. They're not going to love me. They're not going to want to be around me because of that failure that I've been through. Does that make sense? Three people. Fantastic. Okay, so help me preach this this morning, okay? Help me to get through this, okay? Because uh, I believe that we'll get a lot more out of it if we do that and lean into it this morning. So this is how this, these, these fears have outworked themselves in my life. I want to set a foundation from my own personal experience so that I can ha- then walk us through and then I'll, I'll uh, bring it to a successful and, and glorious conclusion at the end. 
So as the pastor of a, probably over 120 people, I try to meet the spiritual leadership needs of people here, to visit when people are sick, to support them when they are struggling, to love them when they're hurting, and to serve them when they're hungry. That's one of the roles that I see. But there's many times when people have been sick, they've been struggling, they've been hurting, they've been hungry, and I have failed to visit them, to support them, to serve them in their time of need. This can give rise to the fear of failure each day and each week that I pastor here at the church. That I might fail someone and then that can open the door to the fear of rejection. Okay? The fear of rejection uh, came pretty early into my life. In fact, when I was one year old, my mother um, attempted for the first time to commit suicide until when I was 14 years of age, she was successful in committing suicide. And there have been many times where I've heard in my own mind and in my own heart the enemy coming to me and saying, but you were a horrible son. You did this wrong. You did that wrong. And it's because of you that your mother committed suicide. She rejected you as a son and she couldn't live with the, the, the way that you were as a son any longer, so she, she just took herself out. I fight that. Sometimes the, the fight's not as bad as at other times. It depends on how I'm going emotionally and how tired I am that those voices begin to get traction or they don't. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm being completely open and transparent with you this morning. Okay? So um, that, that's sometimes how that, that fear came in in the early part. But... It's also that the fear of rejection has come in because as a pastor, I have made many mistakes. Now, I know that you find that hard to believe, okay? And you're thinking, really? You? That's just, oh, how did you think that? So it, it's, I've made some absolute clangers, okay? Uh, I've made some mistakes that you know, I've got away with, and it hasn't had much of an impact within the church, but I've made some mistakes that have had a big impact in the church. And it's those times that I've had to overcome this fear of rejection. About 18 months into being the pastor here in the church, I went through what I would call the dark soul of the night. You know, the dark night of the soul, that's better. The dark night of my soul. I want to say first, not, it was not a night. It was not one night, okay? I didn't sort of like face this thing and get over it in 24 hours. And if you're expecting to in 24 hours, if God does a sovereign work in you, I live in envy of your experience. But I'm going to probably say that it's not going to happen in a 24-hour period. There are some things that happen in our world and in our lives that take years to get over. This is something that's taken me years to get over. I'm not going to go into the details of what happened in that early period, but suffice it to say that some precious people in the church left. I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about multiple families left the church. And I saw that as a rejection of me because of the mistake that I'd made. I'd failed in an area. It opened the door to the fear of rejection because I saw people leaving the church in their minds, and, and um, I'm open to correction on this, they, they left for all the right reasons. God has called me on, but I knew that it was because I'd made a big mistake. I'd tried to put it right. Tried, I'd, I'd repented before the people, done what it was. And it, it, let me say, it wasn't moral. Okay, It wasn't a moral failure, because some of you might be thinking, oh, he's had an affair. No, it wasn't a moral. It's just a dumb mistake. Okay, I... I stood and looked out at the people from this pulpit and I saw faces staring back at me, thinking and feeling in my heart that the mistakes that I'd made were unforgivable and that those left in the church were rejecting me. That's when the fear came into my heart. The fear of failure is a fear I believe that most of us can relate to. And that we've all struggled at some point with the fear of rejection in our lives. Some of us are even consumed by it. And it's my hope that in talking about this this morning, that we can find a way of overcoming 
the fear of rejection. Does that sound like anything anybody would like to, to hear? Because otherwise I'm going to the church down the road. <laughs> okay. The fear of rejection boils down to one basic question, and it's this. What do others think about me? What does everybody else think about me? That's what it boils down to, the fear of rejection. And I've got to say that our our society, our culture in Australia is consumed with this because people live their lives on Facebook, on social media, Okay, now I'm not going to have a bash about this, all right? But I'm just simply going to say you can see that it's evident because there's so much family friction because a family member didn't like a post that someone put up. There have been splits in families over this stuff. It's ridiculous. Get a life. Okay? And I'm saying that with the most amount of love that I can give you, okay? You're, we say, well, they're, they're just going gangbusters. They're having an incredible... They're putting the highlights on their Facebook feed. You don't know the things that are going on behind the scenes. They're just trying to make themselves feel better. We all try to do that. You know, we, we try to brag. I brag about stuff on Facebook, okay? Like yesterday, another personal best in the park run. <laughs> How come you guys aren't clapping? <clears throat> 26 minutes and 5 seconds for 5 kilometers. Oh, I was stuffed afterwards, but <laughs> praise God the last bit's downhill and all I had to do was lean forward and get to the finish. But you know, it, it's not about how many likes we get. You know, this is how, how consumed we are in our in our culture. And it, and it leads us towards this whole thing about it uh, the fear of rejection can be a, a huge trap. In life, and I'm going to give us seven areas. It's not an exhaustive list about where this can be a trap for us, but there's seven things that I believe that the fear of rejection will be a trap for us. The the first area is in um, the fear of rejection causes us to conform our lifestyles and our values to what people will accept. Okay, we in order to avoid rejection, we sometimes become chameleons with those around us. So I know this person only likes that, so that's what I'll be to that person. We're not free to be who we are. Okay, the second area is it keeps me from speaking the truth. Okay? Many of us will lie or distort the truth to keep from being rejected by other people. When a couple have a disagreement, many times one person won't be honest in that disagreement because they have been in the past and they were ridiculed or they were exploded at when they were sharing their heart. So now, to avoid being truthful in any sort of a disagreement or argument, they shut down and they shut up. It's a trap. Third area is that it prevents us from giving and receiving love. Okay? This, this is, I think, is a biggie for us all. <clears throat> Many people shut down because they've been burnt once and they don't want to be burnt again. So the fear of rejection is that they don't give or receive love. And many marriages are like this. They fear the rejection of a spouse, so they shut up. They just shut down. They don't give or receive love because of the fear of failure, fear of rejection. The fourth area is it leads to isolation and loneliness. When we don't give or receive love, we're shutting ourselves off and we become an island. Because of the fear of rejection of other people, we build these walls around us to protect ourselves rather than build a bridge to relate with one another. The fifth area is the fear of rejection moves us towards unhappiness. When we shut other people out, we don't give and receive love, we build these walls around us, we become isolated. It's a tough life. There's not much happiness, there's not much joy, there's not much singing and dancing and praising. The fear of rejection is an unhappy place to be and we live with the constant pressure of trying to please everybody else. It's a miserable way of living, really. You know, wondering what others are thinking about us. Some who suffer from the fear of rejection also tend to be very critical people. See, they've reasoned in their own mind that if they are critical, they can reject others before others reject them. 
That's a good point. This fear of rejection can be a trap for us spiritually as well. It can be a trap for us spiritually. How can, how can it be a trap for us spiritually? Well, the fear of rejection actually stops us sharing about Christ. See, we don't share about Jesus because we're afraid of someone else's response towards us. And it robs us of the courage that we need to share about the most important relationship we have between us and God. Turn to the person. He's talking about you right now. (laughs) Seventh area is that it stops us and keeps us from spiritual maturity, from growing up in Christ. I'm convinced we spend far too much time turning our heads, wondering what others are saying about us, rather than focusing our head and our eyes on God and following him through and him leading us into where he wants to take us and lead us in life. So what does Scripture have to say about this fear and what we might do about it? And I'm convinced that this is the only place that we can go to to help with this fear is the Word of God. I believe that the Word of God can liberate us. Uh, It's my own personal experience of this happening in me in this particular area, this fear that I have of a fear of rejection. The first thing, the action step that we need to do, and there's three action steps I'm going to give you this morning. The first action step is to realize something very powerful. Okay, You need to face the fact that people are going to let you down. Okay, people are going to let you down. Turn to the person on the other side and just simply, he's talking about you now. (laughs) Again, we simply place too much fear or, 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 or value on the opinions of others. We're shaped by their words. We're obsessed by what they might think of us. And God knew this. And that's why he said in Isaiah 51 verse 12, The Lord says, he says, I am the one who comforts you. So why should you be afraid of people who die? Why should you fear people who die like grass? Really good statement, I thought. People have the right to their opinion. But why do we need to fear their opinion? They're going to die and their opinions die with them. And it's very harsh, very sort of like over the top and thinking, that's pretty right in your face right there. Okay, but you know, we might ask today, okay, in dealing with this fear of rejection and overcoming this fear of rejection, the question we might ask ourselves today, can we live life and not fear the rejection of others? I personally think that's uh, not a reality, to be honest. I, I think that's... Um, not the the norm, not the the case in life. I think that it's something that we are going to face and have to deal with many times in life. But what about if we looked at this differently? Okay, Let's look at it from a different perspective. What if we lived life knowing at times we will be affected by the rejection of others, but we don't have to be controlled by it? Okay? Let's not be controlled by it. We can think about it, but we don't have to allow it to direct us, to consume us, to conform us to that person's thoughts, opinions, or feelings. Let's make a decision to do that. Paul wanted to make sure this same thing was clear as he wrote to the church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Do you think I'm trying to make people accept me? No, God is the one I'm trying to please. If I wanted to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. (laughs) That's just good news. (laughs) People are vital to our existence, but they are human, they're not God. Because they're human, they're going to let us down and we shouldn't put faith in people. Now, we need to learn to trust people and, and walk through life with people and stuff like that. But, you know, I've watched many in the church put their faith in a person or a pastor and they were devastated because that person let them down. Let's face it, 
People are going to let us down, so our faith shouldn't be in people. Our faith needs to be in God. I've got to tell you, don't put faith in people. In particular, don't elevate a pastor or a leader and put them on a pedestal and just... I know this is a wrong phrase, but, but you, you understand the spirit behind it. Don't, don't worship the ground they walk on. Do you know what I mean? Is, is that a fair, you understand what I mean by that? I'm not saying that they're a god. I'm simply saying, you know what, sometimes we just think that they're... Their perspiration doesn't smell. <laughs> it's the easiest way I could think of doing that without getting myself in trouble, okay? I probably got myself in trouble already, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I put my trousers on the same as everybody else, okay? I put my shoes on the same as everybody else, okay? I, I, well, as a pastor, I know that you know I'm, I'm really good at some stuff, okay? But I do not hold my trousers there and then do a leapfrog and, frog and just jump straight into them, okay? I wish I was that flexible and that good, but I'm not, okay? So here's a tip. Don't put me on a pedestal, okay? I believe that we need to respect and honor our leaders. We need to pray for our leaders. I'm cool with that, Okay? And I think that sometimes we need to question the people in leadership. But we do it with respect. We do it with honor, as the Bible teaches us that we should. And I think it's good to go and talk to a pastor about an issue that you might have with them. I've got to tell you, I'm open to that. Okay? If you've got a problem with me, come and talk to me about it. Don't go and talk to everybody else before you come and talk to me about it. That was good preaching right there. See... I've discovered that people will not love us as much as we need to be loved. People don't love us as much as we want to be loved. Human love is conditional and it's inconsistent. And if we're living to please people, we're setting ourselves up for hurt and more rejection. My goal in communicating today is that you'll understand what I'm saying and be challenged I will be as resourceful and careful with the challenge that I present, but I'm not here to please you. I've learned an important lesson as a pastor. I've realized that as a leader, when I speak, that there are going to be some here that don't like what I have to say, and they may not even like me for whatever reason but I'm not here to please you. If I allow that to direct me and I fear it, I'd be incapable of communicating anything of value or truth or the Spirit to us. If we're living to please people, we set ourselves up for failure and rejection. My goal is to please God by teaching His church with the gifts He's given me and by the power of His Holy Spirit. That's my goal. And I believe that we focus on the wrong fear. We fear people whose opinion is temporary rather than fearing God whose rejection is eternal. This morning, I want to say to you, maybe you're here this morning and you are investigating Christianity as maybe something that you, you, you've been drawn towards. Now, I don't believe that we need to scare people into the kingdom of God. So I'm going to say some things here. I believe that I want to, to, to talk to you about the love of God. Uh, but there's some things that we need to have to understand as well. Is that the Bible says someday there'll be a day uh, when God will separate the wheat from the chaff. Those who believe and those don't, who don't. There's coming a judgment day. There is coming a judgment day. We, he'll reject those who, who don't know him, and we need to fear that rather than fearing other people. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, it says, Don't be afraid of people who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. The only one you should fear is the one who can destroy the soul and the body in hell. You okay with me this morning? This is just God's word. Okay? Those of us who are believers, instead of fearing other people, we need to fear God. If we're a believer, we don't have to fear his rejection, but fear him like with an Old Testament sense of awe and wonder. 
I, I also do believe, though, that there's an area where we still need to fear God because with a word, with a word, he did some incredibly mind-blowing things. Psychedelic. <laughs> Who do we fear more? God or people? Who, who do we obey more? You, you love me if you do what I command, Jesus says. When there's an opportunity to test that, which side of the fence do we fall on? I'll leave that for you. <laughs> the second action step I want to give us this morning to overcoming the fear of rejection is this. Not only do we need to understand the fact is that people are going to let us down, but we need to focus on how God sees us. In overcoming the fear of rejection, we need to understand how God sees us. The truth is that this can set us free. In, in 1 Samuel, Samuel was asked by God to appoint the new king of Israel. Saul had been rejected and Saul had, uh, was directed, sorry, Samuel was directed to the house of Jesse. When he goes to Jesse's house, Jesse brings before Samuel, the, the anointed prophet of God, his seven sons. Samuel looks at the tallest, the best looking, the most handsome of the seven sons. And he thinks, this must be surely the next king of Israel. And Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It doesn't matter what we look like or how we appear on the outside. God looks at and sees our heart. I think that's great news. I think that's exciting. You know, that's the whole um, theme right throughout the, the New Testament is that Jesus doesn't care what people look like or how religious they sounded. He went straight to the heart of the matter. He went straight to the heart of the person. It, it, Haley shared it at, uh, at communion about how, you know, the, the Pharisees were saying in their heart about this woman who's anointing Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears and, and different things like that. And he says in his heart, if Jesus only knew what type of woman this was. He's judging the outward appearance of this woman. But Jesus says to this man who's only said in his heart, because Jesus is looking at his heart. This man says, if Jesus is a prophet, he's proving himself to be a prophet by, by identifying, clearly saying what this man had said in his heart. Because Jesus was looking at the heart. He wasn't looking at the outward appearance. On the outward appearance, the Pharisee should be the one that's got it all together. The flowing robes, the, the long golden blonde hair and, and you know, the muscles that are bulging and he knows the word of God and he speaks about that stuff. On the outside, this guy's got it all together. This woman's down on her knees crying over Jesus' feet. Got dirty hair now because she's washed Jesus' hair with her, uh, her feet with her hair and stuff. Like that. And Jesus knows her heart. And even says that what she has done will be told throughout forever generations. Her heart paved the way. Jesus saw her heart. I'm so glad Jesus looks at her heart. You need to turn to the person next to you and just say, God sees your heart and he loves it. That's the main difference between people and God, you know. We look at the outside, and I've got to tell you, we judge. Oh, you, you're saying, oh, that's a bit harsh. It just happens to be true. Just because it's harsh doesn't mean it's not true. God looks at the heart, looks at the internal person, looks at their mind, their spirit, looks at the beauty of the person. When people look at us, they look at us externally. What we look like, our homes, our position in life, how much money we make, uh, how modern our car is. God doesn't care about that. He looks at our heart. There's a gentleman called Doug Fields out of Saddleback Church. He wrote about his experience of writing a book called The One Minute Bible for Students. That's the name of the book that he's, he's put together. 
He tells of the fact that he was rejected by his peers in ministry simply because of the title of his book, The One-Minute Bible for Students. See, his peers wrote critiques on the book, having never talked to him, having never read the book, saying that he had sold out and was into a quick-fix Christianity. None of those people took the time to find out about Doug Fields' heart. Because if they had, they'd have discovered a man who was madly in love with God's word and so passionate that over 90% of teenagers who don't read their Bible, that he wanted to provide a tool to give them some encouragement to read maybe one minute a day to give them a taste of God's word, thereby by develop an appetite and a thirst and a love for God's word. They missed his heart because they judged him on an external appearance of what he was looking at, what they, the, the book tied on so. See, the fact is we've all been rejected in, in life, maybe by, uh, uh, because of something that people have no idea about what's going on in our heart and they haven't taken the time or the energy to find out. The good news is that God knows our heart. He knows our motivation. This, this is what I often believe. Okay, <clears throat> We judge other people by their actions, but we excuse ourselves because we know our motivation. We judge other people by what we see, but we excuse ourselves from making mistakes and forgive ourselves so quickly because, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way. We know our motivation, the reason that we've done something. And we've got to start to extend that same grace to the people that may have done something, said something, and rejected us. Does that make sense? It was good, wasn't it? I thought that was very good, actually. We may feel like someone who's not loved, but God puts his grace under us. He sees in us what other people don't see. He sees value, potential, a unique creation, and he calls us his son or his daughter. He calls us that. We are without blemish. We are holy. We're blameless, the Bible says. And this leads us to the third action step of overcoming this fear of rejection. Not only do we need to face the fact that people are going to let us down, Not only do we need to know that we we can focus on how God sees us, but we need to fall back on God's unconditional love. We need to fall back into this area of accepting his unconditional love for us. See, if we're really suffering with rejection right now and struggling to hold our heads above the water, then know that God can lift us up and set us on solid ground, the solid ground of his unconditional love. In 1 John 4, it says, this is what real love is. It's not our love for God. It is God's love for us in sending his son to be the way to take away our sin. When I say unconditional love, I know what goes through many people's minds, especially if we've been a believer for a while. We talk about this unconditional love and we go, heard that, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. That's how we respond. Okay? I've met loads of people who have heard about God's unconditional love. I've met loads of people who have a head knowledge about God's unconditional love. But I haven't met many people that know it, that embrace it, that are able to fall back on it and know that God loves us not for what we do, but for who we are. When we know his unconditional love and fall back on it, it gives us the freedom to live. Do we know God's unconditional love this morning? Because when we do, our lives will be totally and radically different. God's waiting for us to know his unconditional love so that we can relax and be unconcerned about the rejection of others because we are focused on his love for me. 
what he says, how he sees me, is of far greater importance than the person that, that I've got this issue with or has got the issue with me. Good preaching. <clears throat> He's waiting for us to know it. He's got the upper hand on us already because he knows everything about us. In Hebrews 4 verse 13 it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who, to whom we must give an account. See, nothing's hidden from God. In the Passion Translation, this particular verse says, For there is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God. For nothing we do remains a secret, and nothing created is concealed. But everything is exposed and defenseless in his eyes, to whom we must render an account. When we start to think and understand that he knows everything about us, it shouldn't scare us or frighten us. We should rejoice, because knowing all that he does... Our weaknesses, our insecurities, our failings, our fears, our inadequacies. He still loves us. Why don't you try saying that? God loves me. Now, actually, not just thinking it, okay? God loves me. Say that. God actually loves me. Say that. He really loves me. Say it like you mean it. He re- How much does he love you? He really loves you. I think some of you need to be convinced. You're waiting for some great moment in time where you're going to have it suddenly made clear to you. But I thought that's what John 3.16 was all about. God so loved Gary that he gave his only begotten son. He demonstrated his love for me in the giving of his son. When my back was turned to him, in my rebellion, in my sinfulness, not on my best day, but on my worst day and worse, Christ died for me and gave his life as a ransom for me. Some of us have a really hard time with this. I can tell, by the way, that you you were talking about the love of God because I judged your outward appearance, you see. (laughs) I didn't know your heart. See how we do that? How easy it is? Many feel that when we sin, God stops loving us, but he doesn't. His love is unconditional. Sure, God hates sin and he wants nothing to do with it, but it doesn't stop his love for us. Imagine Jesus is in the boat and Peter is wanting to walk on the water and, and, uh, and Peter says, Jesus, I, I want to come to you. And J- Jesus says, come. And Peter walks on the water, but then he, he begins to sink. Jesus doesn't think of Peter as an embarrassment or a failure. Some of us think that's what God thinks about us. That when we perform or behave, he loves us. But when we don't perform or behave, that he stops loving us until we do start to walk on the water again. That's not unconditional love. That's not how God sees us. His love is without condition. He, we need to fall back on that love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, Where God's love is, there is no fear, because God's love drives out fear. Punishment makes a person fear, so love isn't made perfect in the fears or in the, the person who fears. See, we can live in this trap of wanting the inconsistent and false approval of others, or we can resign the game and fall back on God's unconditional love. When we live to please the audience of one, God's love crowds everything else out and we are totally accepted by him. In the dark night of my soul, seeing how God saw me was the only thing that kept me going. It was the only thing that kept me going. As I stood in front of the pulpit, in front of the church, During that period, it was the only thing 
that kept me coming back each Sunday was what God had said and how he saw me. It took me months and years to overcome this fear of rejection. Because God had spoken to me in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Now there's a heads up. If God's telling you to be strong and courageous, it's for a reason. <laughs> he says, because you will lead these people to possess the land that I've given to them. See, it was on my knees, crying out to God in the privacy of my bedroom. Jane heard me, and I didn't do it because I wanted to be heard by Jane. It was just the fact of the matter. I was, I was, I was hurting, and I didn't know what to do apart from cry out to God. Fighting that fear of rejection of people, that I saw that God had chosen me to lead this church and that I needed strength and courage to do so, not my own, but to rely on His. It was in the declaring and holding on to that Scripture, Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, seeing myself as God saw me, that I slowly began to, to rise up and to lead. It was in believing that God doesn't make mistakes when he calls people into ministry. That he had given me that scripture. The very same scripture that he had given the previous pastor and his wife, Keith and Wendy. I didn't know that when God had given that to me. It was only explained to us after we'd gone to them and said, I feel that this is what the scripture that God's given to us. And they said, We'd like to confirm that we do think God's calling you to, to pastor this church because that's the same scripture that God has given to us. The fact is, we're around a lot of people who are watching how we live and how we perform, but only our Heavenly Father really understands everything about us. He wants us to forget the crowds and embrace him and his approval and his unconditional love as he walks us to the finish line where we transfer from one kingdom, one realm into another, as it were, from earth to heaven. This week, my challenge to us all is this, to allow God's love for us to crowd out the opinions and the desire to please everybody else. And that is my whole thing, that others are going to let us down. It's a, it's, it's a fact of life. But don't live in response to that. Live in response to how God sees you. And rest in his unconditional love for you and for me. Let's stand. <clears throat> As I was uh, preparing this and, and thinking, okay, this is massive, God. How do, how do I wind this up? How do I bring this to a conclusion? How do I help people to navigate their way to understanding this? And I, I believe God's given to me a scripture that I believe will help you this morning. Because I know that it brought comfort to me when I read it. And it's, it's simply... Jeremiah chapter 1, verses uh, 5 to 8. And this is what it says. It says, and this is God speaking, okay? He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you. I chose you to speak for me to the nations. O sovereign Lord, I said, this is Jeremiah. He says, I, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say that I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. I believe that God give, gave me, give, give me that for you. He gave me that for you this week. I believe that you need... I'm not going to say that. I'm going to recommend, encourage, exhort you to read that passage this week. To camp in it. Find different translations of it. 
allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through it. Because this is, in, in, in the brief moment that I, I started to look at this scripture, I, I, I saw two things come out of it. That quite often we can say, God, I can't speak for you. I'm, I'm way too young. We come up with every excuse under the sun not to do something. And I'm saying to you, don't have an excuse. Just say yes. Second thing I saw out of this was when God says to, to Jeremiah, don't be afraid of the people. Don't be afraid of the people, the rejection or the failure. And this, he says, you know, for I'm going to be with you and I'll protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. I felt God say to me this. Don't fear the rejection or fear people because I've got you. And I saw like a, my life in his hands. I don't know if you can ever, I, I, don't, I struggle with this. But the size of God, the size of his hand, if I'm in his hand, there is nothing that can touch me. There's nothing that can get through the strength and the power of the almighty living God. So if he's got me and he's with me, I don't need to fear what people think about me. Because he's saying, I've got you and I'm not going to let you slip through the cracks. I'm not going to allow bad stuff to dominate your life. Now, stuff happens, but he's with us. Jeremiah, that's just the start of his life. You read the rest of it. He needed to know that God was with him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people to possess the land that I gave to their ancestors. I swore to give to them. What's the verse, the passage that God's given to you for your life? I believe we need one. It's my personal conviction. If you don't have one, this week, ask God. Say, God, what verse would you give to me for me to cling to and to, to anchor myself to to get me through the difficult times of life? Because I believe that God wants us to hang on to his word. I wanted to quit in the first 18, 24 months of my new career as a successful preacher and pastor of a church. I wanted to walk away. I'd had enough. But I couldn't go back to being a policeman anymore. I couldn't do that anymore. The door had closed. I'd resigned. 12, I could have gone back if it was within 12 months. They would have accepted me back. But this was well over that. And I wanted to walk away. I was hurt. And I was bleeding. And I believe that some here today may be in that same position that I was. And it was only the word of God. It was only the word of God that kept me here. Only the word of God that kept me here. Now today, I don't feel or sense the rejection of people. I know that every one of you love me. Every one of you love me. I'm going to pray over us today. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I would encourage you to, to listen to this message again. Download it from iTunes or listen to it on our website because I believe that there's some things in there that God wants to speak to you through. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Sit there, encamp there, write it out on a card, take it with you because I believe that this is reflected in the New Testament. It's the part of the Great Commission. He says, I've chosen you and appointed you to go to the nations. 
He, he, he even says that in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that we will receive power to go and to talk to people about the kingdom of God. He, that we will to, to speak for God into our world as a witness. <coughs> Heavenly Father, <coughs> I ask you that as people determine in their lives at some point this week to sit down and to do some business with you, that you would speak with great clarity, with great conviction, and that you would drop into people's hearts a scripture that they can anchor their soul to, that they will never move away from, knowing how much you love them and care for them and want them to have all of everything that you've got for them available to them. Speak to them in the name of Jesus, I pray, this week. Just as every head's bowed, I don't know everybody here this morning, but I want to make an opportunity for people to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. If I'm completely honest with you this morning, during the dark night of the soul, there were times when I thought about driving really fast down a road and finding a really, really big gum tree. That's how bad it was. But God spoke to me and reassured me out of that passage of Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. And I believe that God's speaking to people today. You may not be at the point of thinking about topping yourself, but there have been times where you just didn't think that you could go on. And you're wondering about the reason for life and living. Jesus is my reason. Jesus is the reason I continue to do what I do. Continue to put my heart out there. Continue to put my life on the line for him. And this morning, this is the same Jesus I want to tell you. He died for you. He loves you unconditionally. He gave himself for you. There's not another person that has done that for me. And this morning, maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but this morning you feel, you know what, I think I need to do this. I need help in my life. If there's anyone here this morning, you want to say yes to Christ. You've never invited Christ into your life before, but this morning you want to do that. Would you put your hand up? Because I want to pray with you, because I believe that God wants to touch your life in a powerful way today. Is there anybody here? Just put your hand up nice and tall. Anyone at all? Father, I thank you for the power of your presence today. Have your way in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.